0: Halo's in the infields, throwing it back to an interview that Andrew Ciccarelli and I did with 2006-17th overall pick, Matt Antonelli of the San Diego Padres. What? He cooked ramen noodles from where? People put chicken where? Find out more, coming up, right now. (laughs) Hello, everybody, and welcome to Halos in the Infield. My name is Fernando Mendez. Now, we decided to re-release this interview that Andrew Ciccarelli and I did a few years back. Andrew Ciccarelli is, of course, from our Around the League show. Him and Chase do some great work. Make sure you check them out if you haven't already. But this interview was performed a couple years ago in an old podcast that we had. Now, we wanted to bring it back. It was Andrew and I's introduction to how difficult life in the minors really could be and is. Now, the interview was performed with Matt Antonelli. Uh, that name might sound familiar for you guys. Matt Antonelli was a first-round pick in 2006 for the San Diego Potters. He was the 17th overall pick that year. He was ranked the number one prospect for, as far as second baseman, and 27th overall in all of Major League Baseball. So Matt Ensign only talks about the pressures of being a top prospect in baseball and how different it is to be a top prospect than to get waived, go to another organization, and, you know, just be just another guy. Talks about how difficult it is just to transition from organization to organization. And, of course, how difficult it is to be a player in minor league baseball. It's what inspired Andrew and I to want to make a difference in minor league baseball. And we brought that here. And this community has opened up the doors to talk about that issue, has embraced that issue. And you guys truly helped make somewhat of a difference in the minor league landscape, which we hope to continue to do in 2022 and years beyond. Uh, Now, Matt Antonella might sound familiar to some of you guys as he has a successful YouTube channel and a successful business named Antonelli Baseball. Um, Well, I think that's going to do it. On behalf of all of us, enjoy the interview, and viva Los Angelitos.
1: All right, and this is Fernando Mendez here with my co-host, Andrew Ciccarelli, and we're joined here by Matt Antonelli. Matt, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, How are you doing this evening?
2: I'm doing well, guys, and no problem at all. Thanks for having me.
1: Now, Once again, this is Matt Antonelli. He was originally drafted by the San Diego Padres. He was the 17th pick of the 2006 Major League Draft.
0: Now, Matt, you were the 27th overall prospect in Major League Baseball.
1: That's something that goes through your head? Um, You know, how do you deal with the pressures, if you will? And uh, do you ever notice teams treating prospects of that magnitude any differently?
2: So a couple of things when, when I was in it, when I was playing, um, you know, I never will start off with being treated differently. I, I never noticed that I was treated any differently. Um, but a lot of players, other players that were not considered high prospects would always tell me how differently I was being treated than they were being treated. I just didn't really see it. Um, but I, I will say I did notice that when I left the Padres, uh, in 2010 was my last year there, I ended up playing for four other organizations. And I definitely did see that, um, there was a difference between being a, a high prospect and being a high draft pick and not, um, I was definitely treated differently in those other organizations. Not that I was treated poorly. Um, I don't know. I guess you just get a little bit more attention when you are one of the the higher prospects of an organization, especially when they draft you in the first round. So um, I will say I did notice that. And then um, as far as dealing with being a top prospect, I personally didn't think about it very much. Um, It's really strange. A lot of people don't believe me when I say it, but I didn't think about the whole first round draft pick stuff I didn't think about the high prospect stuff my goal was my goal was never really to just be drafted and play in the minor leagues but my goal was always to kind of get to the big leagues and hopefully have a long career so that's what I was really focused on I put more pressure on myself and thought about it more when I when I got to the big leagues and wasn't successful that kind of was what I was focused on and and at times really kind of ate at me that I wasn't playing well but as far as the prospect stuff I didn't really think about that or let it bother me
3: oh that's cool so uh, I guess a little bit of a follow-up. So uh, to go back a little bit to the beginning of your answer, what do you think was the uh, the big difference between when you left the Padres organization and like when you went to uh, I think it was the Nationals after? yep. yeah, like so like uh, would you be able to like um expand upon some of those differences between the organizations?
2: As far as the the prospect and me and my personal feelings are just differences in the organizations. In I general. guess,
3: I, I guess, like differences in how they handled you as a prospect.
2: Yeah, sure. So, well, I'll say when when I'm with the Padres and I'm a and I'm a high prospect. When members of the whether it's minor league or even major league front office come into town, they're going to interact with you more. You feel like you're important to the organization they talk to you, they want to know how you're doing. Um, and so that doesn't really happen, or at least for me, when I left, it didn't happen as, as much, you know, I'm not in spring training. Um, not that you're invisible, but when I went to the nationals and other teams, I'm not really conversing very much with, um, people in the front office or even people within the you know whether it's the you want to come the farm director or I don't even know the the exact titles of all the guys but you know when I'm with the Padres um Grady Fuson was basically who drafted me he was kind of the head of the minor leagues and developing players with the Padres and I talked with Grady all the time and uh people used to always joke with me that I was like his son and uh they didn't get treated the same way that I did and I just thought it was normal I just figured everyone um You know, everyone talked to, to and uh, and then I went to the nationals and and other teams and that doesn't, you know, it doesn't happen. So I think that's probably just the biggest thing you, you do, you know, I felt important when I was with the Padres and at times with the other organizations, you just feel like you're just kind of one of the other guys, one of, you know, there's hundreds of guys and you just kind of feel like, you know, you're just a guy thrown in with a bunch of other ones. So I think that's probably just the, the biggest difference
3: overall. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So it's like you come into the organization and you kind of know what you know because that's all you know in that organization, if that makes sense. Yep, absolutely.
1: Matt, you were obviously a good baseball player. You made it to the show. But most people may not know that you were a great football player as well. In fact, you were the Massachusetts Player of the Year in football and were actually the runner-up for baseball in your senior year at what point in your life did you realize that baseball was what you wanted to do and you didn't want to you know pursue football
2: sure so actually as a kid uh my dream was always to i wanted to play in the major leagues or actually in the nhl i was really big into hockey most of my life football didn't really start until high school i never played football until high school um so my goal was always to do one of those two things. I, I actually wanted to go play at the University of New Hampshire. I wanted to play baseball and hockey. Um, as a kid, I was the bat boy for the UNH baseball team, and we were good friends with the hockey coach, and I would go to games you know, all the time. So that was my dream, and then UNH actually dropped the baseball program, and that kind of crushed all of my dreams when I was um, probably entering high school. And, uh, and so I would say probably, I would say probably sophomore year of high school, I realized that I had a chance to be a pretty good baseball player and that I was gonna, you know, I started to get somewhat recruited. I got attention from colleges and, and so I knew I was probably going to go play college baseball somewhere. And, you know, I could have went and played football at, at colleges, but I was thinking long-term, you know, do I have a better chance at playing in the major leagues or playing in the NFL? And as a not overly big uh, football player, um, I just thought that my my skill set <laughs> for baseball was probably a little bit better. Now, I would love, I would, I always say, I would love to go back in time and be able to say, okay, let's try football and see what happens because I really do love football. Um, I love baseball also, but football. Football might be my favorite sport to watch, um, and also to play on 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 game day. Practices were a different thing. I love baseball practice. I hate football practices. Um, but yeah, I would say, <laughs> to, to answer your question, I would say probably sophomore year of high school, going into junior years when I when I knew that I probably should put my attention really towards uh, baseball. Okay, you, um, think and... you
1: don't like to do bear crawls across
2: the uh, <laughs> field, right? <laughs> exactly. Yes, that among uh, of many other things.
3: So at what point, so you went to Wake Forest uh, University, right? Yep. Uh, At what point did they start recruiting you in that that process? So
2: Wake Forest probably started recruiting me during my junior year, my junior summer. So the summer before senior year. So the recruiting process has really changed over the last, oh, I don't know, five to ten years where players are getting recruited much earlier and some players are committing. I mean, I, I, we have players in our organization for Ansonley baseball that are um, getting recruited and some are getting ready to commit as early as freshman and sophomore year in high school, which didn't happen when I was getting recruited. No one committed until basically senior year was pretty much when everyone was committing. So it was a much different process back then, but, um, but yeah, Wake Forest, Wake Forest saw me play during the summer right before my senior year, and then I visited campus, I think it was
3: in October, and I committed right around then of my senior year. So you think if uh, New Hampshire had to drop their baseball program, you would have uh, gone there instead of Wake Forest? Uh,
2: Well, it'd be interesting because um, I probably – I don't know. That's a great question because if I was recruited to play hockey and baseball at UNH – Man, that would have been pretty fun from just a, from just a baseball perspective, you know, being able to go down to North Carolina and being able to play in the warmer weather and in the ACC would was really, really appealing. Um, but then again, to have the hockey option, I'm not really sure what I would have done. That's a that's
3: a good question. Right, and then speaking on your uh, baseball organization, I saw that you had two people that were drafted. Yes.
2: Yeah, so this past year, we just had two players drafted. We it was actually the first pretty much the first time we had players that were eligible to get drafted out of college. Um, Cause we haven't been around for a really long time. So uh, yeah, it was nice. We had um, Jackson Gillis got drafted by the Brewers. He was playing, he played at Vanderbilt and Spencer Brown got drafted by the angels. He was uh, actually a junior college player, a, a freshman um, hitter, both really, really good players. And so, yeah, we're super excited for them. They're both grinding away and, and they're in the minor leagues right now. And then, um, you know, we should probably every year now have a couple more guys that have a chance to get drafted, and, and there'll, be, there'll be more each year that, that do get drafted. So it's fun to be able to watch these guys go from, you know, young players, high school players, in the college, and now have the opportunity to, to try to make it to the big leagues. Yeah, that's really cool.
3: That's cool to hear. All
1: right, Matt. Um, minor league baseball is said to be tough it's not much of a secret that most minor league players are not paid well. Are the horror stories told about living arrangements in the minor leagues true? If so, can you, you know, elaborate maybe as far as, uh, what you encountered or what some of your teammates encountered to your knowledge? Sure. So
2: uh, this is something that, um, it's hard to really understand what a minor league season is like, unless you honestly, unless you live through it. Like I, I played a lot of baseball, um, and I thought I knew a lot about baseball, and then I got to the minor leagues, and the minor leagues were nothing like I thought they were going to be. Um, And and I'm also talking about a time when – You know, Wake Forest now, when you think about Wake Forest baseball, uh, I coached there a few years ago. And the difference between when I went there and now is so different, like stadiums and facilities and all that are incredible, so much incredibly better now than they were then. (laughs) But even then, when I was there and, and the facilities were not very nice and all that college playing in college was so much easier Um, and so much nicer than playing in professional baseball. And most people wouldn't think that they think, oh, you're a professional. So you must get paid a ton and you must, you must live in really nice places and you must travel, you know, really nicely (laughs) opposite. So, you know, within the first couple of road trips, you know, our bus, the AC wouldn't work. It broke down. (laughs) We were stranded overnight. You stay in hotels that are or motels that are really like some, some of the. They're some of the worst motels that I've ever stayed in, <laughs> in my life. Um, you're not getting paid anything. So I was very lucky and fortunate that I got a, a, a large signing bonus. But for the majority of the players, you know, I played with a lot of players in the minor leagues that made, they didn't get a signing bonus. Um, and so they were living off of, for instance, my, my first season and short season ball when I got drafted, you know, we were getting paid. I think I got paid... I think it was a thousand dollars or 11, uh, $1,100 a month. Oh man. Um, and that's only during the season. So, you know, the season, a minor league season is five months long. So, you know, yeah. if you think about five months at, let's say a thousand dollars, that's $5,000 for your full-time job. Mm. Um, and that's before taxes, <laughs> like, that's before, yeah. um, you know, you have to pay most places you're going to have to pay to live. And so you essentially make no money. Um, And so unless you get a big signing bonus or you come from a family that can help support you, it's almost impossible to live. And like I said, I play with a lot of guys, especially players from from Latin America that didn't come from money, didn't get a big signing bonus, don't have any money. And they're trying to survive. You know, I saw people... I saw people getting yelled at all the time for for literally turning their their bathroom tubs into stoves. I saw guys trying to cook. You know, they'd go out and buy a, the cheapest food they could buy, and they'd be cooking in the hotel rooms. Um, I saw people using. They. I saw one room. They tried to use the air conditioning unit as like a freezer for to keep their chicken cold, and like you oh, see <laughs> all these crazy, crazy things with these kids trying to yeah. live off of no money at all. Um, and again. If you tell someone that doesn't know anything about this, that they're a professional player, they wouldn't believe that this is what they're, you know, what players are going through. And, you know, just to finish up, I saw a lot of players that stopped playing professional baseball because they couldn't afford to play anymore, which is amazing to think as a professional that you'd have to stop playing because you can't afford to to do it. Um,
3: Yeah, it's really
2: crazy. Yeah, it's it's um, it's tough now. Obviously, the reward at the end, if you can get to the big leagues, I mean, the reward is amazing, um, but the, it's very hard, obviously, to get there. Um, so I think things have to change. I think they are kind of starting to change, and I think they'll continue to over time. Um, there's obviously been over the last year or so a lot of publicity that has kind of gone towards the, the the pay and the and what minor league players are going through. So it'll be interesting to see what happens here over the next couple of years. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Andrew
1: and I did a, a segment not too long ago where we talked about, uh, you know, the, the life of minor league. We kind of covered it as much as we could. We talked about how minor league baseball has kind of cut out a couple of, I don't want to say bad facilities, but maybe some facilities that might, you know, not be as nice as the others. I grew up uh, near Bakersfield, so Sam Lynn Ballpark, I, I heard a lot of uh, baseball players complain about that ballpark
2: oh yeah bakersfield uh, california
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Oh, oh yeah so uh I, I i was in that league luckily i got called up before we went to bakersfield but i heard that the uh, stadium and, and facilities were not very good there. <laughs> a lot of our guys after i left they said you got lucky to get out of here before we went over there.
1: <laughs> yeah i've heard about uh like the the benches uh, leaf splitters on you uh the bo- I believe home plate faces uh, where the sun sets, right? So you have like the sun blaring in your eyes.
2: Yeah, I heard about that. I mean, there were definitely some clubhouses and and uh you know let's say this there was a there was a a handful of bathrooms and showers in the minor leagues that i did not want to go into um to shower or use (laughs) (laughs) that that was more than one facility so there's a lot of places that probably shouldn't have been allowed to be open
3: (laughs) or used (laughs) so I, i i guess uh what one quick um extension on your minor league comments what uh so what do you think was there, is there like a per diem that was added to the players? Like, did you guys get like any like daily meal out, meal allowance allowance? Sorry. I'm like tripping on my words.
2: Yes. Uh, so when you play on the road, so you don't get paid anything at home. Um, but when you go to the, to a visiting ballpark, um, you get paid. When I was playing for the first seven years, I think it was, I got $20 a day. Um, and then I, it went up to $25 a day, my last season. And now I don't know what it is. I think it actually might still be right around the same. Um, and so, so let's just say that my first seven years of $20 a day. So the $20 will be basically, it's considered meal money. So, you know, hopefully the hotel has a breakfast. So you don't have to use the money, but if it doesn't, you know, you're going to have to get breakfast and at least lunch. And then usually you'll eat dinner uh, at the field. Usually the uh, clubhouse attendant, the road clubby will uh, have food for, the players now sometimes it's so disgusting that you don't want to eat it and you have to you want to go out and eat anyway uh, especially for me I'm a picky eater uh, but then you have to pay clubhouse dues also so depending on the level you know I would say it's usually around like 10 to thirteen dollars a day or, or so so you got to figure you get 20 bucks 10 of it basically half of it's gone and then you get ten dollars pretty much to eat
3: breakfast and, and lunch with. Okay, yeah. So that's not that's not much to live on. No, no, <laughs> not at all. And, and, the, and to all give right, you an right,
1: idea,
2: when I was when I was in the major leagues, we got a hundred dollars a day of meal money. Um, and I believe I tried to look this up. I think it's like one seventy five a day now. I know it's more than a hundred, but um, so. It's it's interesting when you're in the major leagues and you're getting paid tons. You get a hundred dollars a day for meals, but then when you're in the minor leagues, you get paid nothing. You only get twenty dollars a day, or now you know maybe maybe twenty five or so dollars a day.
3: Yeah, that's a, that's a really crazy difference. Now, yeah. quick question: I've always kind of wanted to know when you're in the majors, do you get your own like hotel suite, or do you have to share?
2: Yep. So the major leagues is the first level uh, the only level that I've ever played in where you get your own hotel room. So in the minor leagues, you, you share a room with another player. Um, but in the major leagues, you get your own room and you know, you're staying at most of the, the hotels that I stayed at were Ritz Carlton's or you get, that's basically, you're going to stay at the best hotel pretty much in every city that you go to when you're in the major leagues.
1: Okay.
3: Yeah, that's cool.
2: All
1: right, Matt, a couple more questions. Uh, once again, listeners, this is Matt Antonelli being generous enough with this time to join us. Now, uh, for those of you guys who don't know, Matt has a really entertaining YouTube channel. In one of those videos, you talk about your signing bonus and what you did with it. You've already alluded to that a little earlier. Though you explain in your video what you did do with your signing bonus? What would you do differently?
2: Uh, if, if I got drafted again, I would... Um... I wouldn't spend one dollar of my bonus. I would invest the entire thing, um, and then I would. Well, I wouldn't even. I, would, I. So I guess I would have to live off a little bit of it because again, minor league salaries are so bad. But I would invest the whole thing and basically live off the interest is what I would essentially do. Um, you know one one thing that one thing that getting paid a lot of money did for me is it it kind of forced me to fig to learn more about money. Uh, my whole life as a kid, before I got drafted, I basically tried to do well in school. I tried to be the best baseball player I could be. And that's all I paid attention to. And so I never really had to get a job. I worked a little bit like washing dishes for my family's business. And, uh, and when I was in the Cape Cod league, I, I worked at a grocery store, but essentially I never really had a job. I never really had a more than, I don't know, a hundred dollars. So I never thought about money, what to do with money, anything. And then I got drafted and then they give you you know, I got a little over a <laughs> million and a half dollars. And then I was like, shoot, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs>
3: yeah,
2: <laughs> so so like, I think like most kids, you know, I just had turned 21. You know, I bought a couple of stupid things. I bought myself a sports car. Cause I thought that that's what you're supposed to do um i ended up buying a house because i wanted to live in a house and uh and then i invested my mu- i did invest some money so i was smart enough to at least invest some of it um but i would to do it over again i wouldn't buy a car and i wouldn't even at the time i wouldn't buy a house i would just literally invest it all and let that money sit there and grow and then maybe live off some of the interest and then hopefully get to the big leagues and live off that money
3: okay yeah yeah that sounds like a a, a pretty safe plan there The
1: baseball season is really long. Now, bearing injuries, at what point do you think the typical baseball player's body starts to, you know, wear out? When does the grind truly start for the average Major League Baseball player?
2: As far as what age or what part of the season?
1: Yeah, you know, what part of the season? And obviously age is a factor
2: too. Gotcha. Um, So that's a really good question. I think, I think it depends, you know, when you're younger, um, my first few years, like they just played the hell out of me as long as I wasn't injured. Um, I can remember my first full season when I was in double a, they never gave me a day off. And I remember like I, every day I'd get to the field and I'd look at the the lineup card and be like, please have my name on the bench, please. And it would be like, nope, second base again. And, uh, you know, at this point it was probably August. I mean, they call it, you know, the dog days of August. And I mean, that's definitely true. Um, especially as a minor league player that is not used to playing that much. Like that was my first full season. That is a a real shock to have to play pretty much every day. And the minor leagues is weird because you don't really ever get days off. Um, you know, if the manager doesn't take you out of the game, there's, there's pretty much games every day. Like you get like one day off as far as a team goes per month is what it kind of comes out to. And uh, so it's really difficult. I'd say that one thing you learn in the minor leagues is how to play not feeling anywhere close to your best. Like I heard. I don't know who said it, but they said the only day of a baseball season that you feel 100% is the first day of spring training, and then that's pretty much it, and that (laughs) is true. Um, You don't ever really feel good, and you also get used to – I always said that my first year of pro ball felt in many ways that – you know I always felt like I was sleepwalking in some games because the travel is tough, you don't get a lot of sleep – And so you got to learn, you just got to learn how to play when you're not at your best. That's part of being a minor league player and a major league player. If you think, like, oh, I'm only going to play well when I feel good, well, then you're never going to play well because you don't ever feel good. So um, that's part of it. But I would say, I don't know, August is a rough month because your body's just really beat up. Um, But hell, I mean, there were years where my body didn't feel good in (laughs) April, also. So. (laughs) it's uh, it's really it's, it's really really tough to say i do think that um that it'll make it i think personally you need to make sure that you're getting your players some time off um i do think again that first year i almost felt like they were like okay we're going to like we're going to see what this guy can do and how much we can just kick the crap out of him and see if he can keep bouncing back and playing well um Not like initiation, but it almost felt like that in some ways. Uh, And so, and I do think there is part of it that some people say like, you've got to earn it. And in the minor leagues, like, let's see if you can freaking get through this thing. And if you really want it bad enough, if you want to get to the big leagues, like you'll figure out a way to, like I said, you got to play well and you got to, basically you got to keep going through, you know, through the bumps and the bruises and being tired and, and all that stuff.
3: Yeah, definitely like a sink or swim type of thing. Sure. Yep. Did you, uh did you feel like, did you come up with like any personal systems or like mental routines to get you through those days in August?
2: Well, I think routines are definitely a part of baseball. You, you, you almost do the same thing every single day. And so you learn how to kind of adapt over time and, um, you know for instance when i was in college or when you're a young player like you can your your body's going to bounce back a lot better you know you don't have to stretch as much you don't have to take cold tubs and you don't have to ice down or or whatever it is you don't have to do that as much but i got into a routine as i got older where you know i'd have to make sure that i wouldn't just stretch before games but i'd go through some type of stretch after games i got into the cold tub a lot more um after games i would do arm care stuff and back then it wasn't as popular as it is now but i would make sure that i was doing some type of arm care stuff to take care of your arm that's one of the real big things that a lot of people don't think about is what your arm feels like when you throw every single day for six months straight um you know your arm starts to not feel very good um (laughs) you also got to make sure that you get into the training room and A lot of people say, like, you know, you got to stay out of the training room. You don't want to be in there. But the trainers do a really good job of helping get your body going, whether it's a stretch or or a massage or, you know, whatever it is. And it's also easier at the big league level. You know, they have uh, chiropractors. They have masseuses on hand. They have a lot more ways to make sure your body is feeling good. Um, And also the, the better travel and the better meals and the better hotels and all that stuff really does help. Also Uh, the minor leagues, you don't always have that stuff, but yeah, with all that being said, yeah, you got to definitely tweak your routine and try to figure out what, what makes your body feel the best. And uh, you don't want to just um, rely on Advil and Red Bulls. (laughs) Sometimes that is uh, when a lot of players end up relying on, Um, but you want to try to not get into that routine. Uh,
1: You made a video about unwritten rules one of the things that you talked about in that video was pimping home runs. With the culture change over the last year with the Let the Kids Play campaign, has your viewpoint changed on that at all? This is you personally.
2: Yeah, so when it comes to to that, um, so my thought I think is I am all for emotion in the game. I think when you do something that is... Uh, spontaneous or just out of emotion um, I think that is good I I don't like when guys do things Just to bring attention to them Themselves so And I know it's hard sometimes to tell which is which um, But I'm not against uh, You know pimping a home run uh, As long as it's not I don't know And it, again I don't even know how to describe it It's just <laughs> outrageous Outlandish uh, Just look at me So you know and, and how do you define that? I'm not really sure, but I do think, listen, I, I'm a hitter. I think that pitchers, in my opinion, you know, a pitcher can strike you out and he can fist pump and scream and yell and dance off the field. And that's considered <laughs> like, okay. But then when a hitter hits a ball and doesn't like sprint out of the box, the pitcher's screaming at him to, to get around the bases. So I think that <laughs> is silly. And I think that hitters should be able to do a little bit more and show a little bit more emotion. Um, you know, within reason, I guess. So it's it's an interesting it's an interesting topic, and I'm not even sure how to classify or define exactly how much should be allowed by the hitter. Um, but yeah, I do th- I do think that there should be. And I when I made that video, I can't remember if I was talking about what I thought should be allowed or what the game itself expects, or what especially with pitchers because pitchers get so you know. Butthurt about every (laughs) little thing that a a hitter does, Um, and and I think that they they can be pretty soft at times. um, But I don't know. (laughs) Hopefully
3: that answers your question. Yeah, that was a great answer. All right. So uh, last one I have.
1: You were one of the few players to make it to the show. What would you do differently if you had to do your career
2: all over again this time around? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I think that, and well, this wouldn't be possible. I mean, I think one of the biggest things that I struggled with obviously was staying healthy. Uh, a lot of those things were kind of out of my control. I ended up having a bad wrist and I ended up, you know, I broke my hand and had a bunch of surgeries. So, I mean, if there were any way to change that and and get a healthier hand and wrist, I would be all for it. Uh, That was probably out of my control. So I think something that I could control, I think I would probably try to try to understand my what made me successful as a player, especially from an offensive side. Um, You know, one of the things I think hurt me was in 2008, I for, for reasons I'm not even still sure about, my swing started to kind of fall apart on me. I, I'd i lost my swing, essentially. And uh, and my problem was, I didn't really know what I did when I was successful. I didn't know why I was successful. I just kind of always hit well, whether it was growing up or high school or college or, or my first few years of, of pro ball. And so I just hit well, and I just kind of take it for granted. And then all of a sudden, when something happens and you don't hit well i didn't have any idea what made me successful and so i didn't know how to kind of get back to doing that again and a lot of people you know a lot of people in 2008 would say well matt just why don't you just go back to doing what you did and i was like "Yeah, no kidding like, i wish i could do that do you think i'm trying to do you know, trying to hit like you know what right now? so um uh, but that is a real thing that i think a lot of players especially at that time You know, now there's, there's a lot more technology. There's a, I think players are taking more ownership over their careers, understanding exactly what's going on in their swings. Um, and I didn't do as good of a job as that, as I probably should have. I really got in. one of the reasons I I got into, I, I became so passionate about hitting and about swing mechanics is because of what I went through And knowing how it's not fun when you don't know what you're doing wrong and, you know, everyone is trying to make you do a thousand different things and nobody really understands what's going on. And it can be really frustrating. And, uh, you know, baseball is one of the most, you know, it's a game of failure and it can be very frustrating because even if you're a great hitter, you're going to be unsuccessful 70% of the time. But, you know, for me, certain years, I I was, you know, unsuccessful almost 80% of the time, which is, which is very, very frustrating can really get you down mentally and, uh, and emotionally. So, um, yeah, I think that would be the biggest thing is to, to know my strengths and why they're my strengths and, uh, take a little bit more time to do that before things go bad, not waiting until, you know, the, you know, what hits the fan and then you're like, okay, now I got to figure this <laughs> out. It, it can be really, really tough. Um, and I struggle with that
3: for a while during my career. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great answer. Do you think that if you had the technology that was available today, that that would have been like a huge help to you back in uh, 2008?
2: Um, it depends. I do think that there could be, I, I do think that, you know, I was someone that probably would have been interested in it. But again, I, I wonder, um, it's tough to tell if, you know, when I was doing so well, if I just took it for granted and I didn't pay attention because I had a mindset of, well, things are working right now. I, I wonder what I would have, what I would have done. Um, I don't know. That's a really good question. I, I think that, I think that the technology, whether it's the um, swing sensors that are now on your bat or, you know, the, you know, even if you think about just Recording swings videotaping swings, um, you know when I was playing we I very rarely watch myself on video and uh Now, I mean every player has an iphone that they can You know just record themselves taking swings whatever they want and I and we didn't do that like I I can remember I don't even know what it was called a flip video or something like that. I remember I got one of those when I was playing and I thought it was like the coolest thing ever. I look at that thing now. I'm like, what the hell is this? Thing? I wonder why we didn't film each other. Like, this thing is brutal. Uh, um, I couldn't, even if we did film each other, we wouldn't be able to see anything anyway. So it's uh yeah, it's definitely different now. And I think, you know, some people, especially more old school um, baseball people, we'll get upset sometimes with the technology and all that, but I think it's, I think it's good for the game and I think it's good for the players and, you know, for the players that want to take ownership of their swing and their career. I think it, it's uh, really valuable.
1: Matt Antonelli taking the time to join us here on the Padres mission podcast. Matt, do you want to go ahead and tell the listeners what you have going on these days?
2: Sure. Yeah. So, um, I mean, the biggest thing for, for for me is I run Anstonley baseball, which is basically a it's a youth uh, travel ball organization slash academy. So we do lessons and clinics, and uh, and we have teams. We have almost 200 players in our organization that play with us throughout the year. So our my, our main goal and, and job i guess is to help players develop both on and off the field and we're we're helping players you know whether it's young players teaching them the ins and outs of the game and hope help, helping instill loving uh for the game and then our older players we're helping them you know make their high school teams and hopefully playing college and um you know whatever it is whatever level of the game they want to get to helping them get to that point so that's the main thing and then you know with our youtube channel that's kind of it almost has like a mind of its own now. I'm playing video games on there, <laughs> and doing all kinds of crazy things. But ultimately, my goal is to help spread um, just any knowledge that I've been able to gain over my career as a player or now as a coach and help, you know, help younger players and help coaches and help parents, um, you know, learn from that and be able to help their kids and their players. So that's the main goal. So if you want to check out, you know, kind of some of the stuff that we're, we have going on, pretty much it's Anthony baseball anywhere. So you can go to YouTube type in Anthony baseball. I'm on Instagram a lot. Uh, our website's Anthony com. You can find stuff on there. So, uh, yeah, if anyone wants to go check that out, wants to learn some more, just, uh, watch me, uh, hit homers and road to the show. You can do that. You're better
1: uh, growing the hair back like you had.
2: <laughs> I know that's it. It is all in the hair for sure. I cut my hair actually in college. My my, my junior year, I hit, uh, what did I hit? Eleven home runs. I hit eleven with long hair. I cut my hair and I hit zero. So it is without a doubt all in the long hair. Lesson learned. Yep. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe that's what you would have done differently this time, right?
2: That's a good point. Actually, the Padres did yell at me a few times to cut my hair. So <laughs> they didn't they didn't like it either. But you don't mess you don't mess with a good thing with success. So. <laughs> all
1: right. Matt Antolini. thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for taking the time out of your day. We appreciate it very much.
3: No problem, guys. Are you sick of sandpaper tongue? Do you prefer your sunflower seeds to be non-GMO, gluten-free, and without all that bullshit MSG? If so, do we have some good news for you. Introducing Chinook Seedery with some of the best sunflower seeds on the market. Be sure to check out all seven of their non-GMO, gluten-free flavors today. To help out Halos in the Infield, head on over to Halosintheinfield.com and click on our sponsor link. Chinook Cedaring.